Welcome to another edition of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Matt Breed, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMA LOTN. This week, we're going over UFC 264, the trilogy fight between Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. Let's see who can get the upper hand. Both are one and one, with Poirier obviously winning the last fight. Let's see if Conor McGregor can get some redemption and end up on top in this trilogy very excited for that fight but not to mention there's a ton of other great fights on the card big pay-per-view we had a week off the ufc made us crave the fights and they make us crave one of the biggest pay-per-views that they're going to have of the year so i can't wait to uh watch the fights and obviously break down the fights for you guys later in this podcast uh just want to throw out there there's a couple things housekeeping stuff that i want to throw out there first before we get into the the the, the podcast this sweet sweater i'll move away the mic so you guys can see it a little bit better it will be well not this specific one but sweaters like this will be for sale in the very near near future and by near future i mean hopefully by this week or by next week and a lot of people have been banging the drum of getting some lock of the night merch out there it's been a long time since i've had any merch uh out there i've never actually sold merch before i've always given away merch but now i'm actually uh you know i'm going to be setting up a little bit of a shop and i'll be putting out some merch out there for you guys hopefully you know people will hop on it i've had people hounding me forever to get some lock of the night merch so um i'm gonna get it up and ready for you guys and as soon as i do i'll either plug it into the uh, description below uh, i'll obviously tweet it out instagram it out do all that shit you guys will hear about it as soon as the link uh, as soon as the link is live i will let you guys know and you guys can go shop your heads off and get some uh, lock of the night merch so that's the first thing uh and, and then secondly i did a quick uh 2021 first half recap slash uh second quarter 2021 recap on the live version of the mma lockcast you guys can go check that out over there i'm not going to run into it again but uh you guys can definitely go check it out i think it was like within the first 10 minutes i spoke about it everything is time stepped on that podcast as well so you guys can go check that out all right <clears throat> let's get into the uh Quick betting recap of the last event, UFC Vegas 30. We had our lock of the night play hit five units on Charles Rosa at minus 175. That hits for a plus 2.86 units. Very happy with that uh, spot, but it did make me sweat a little bit more than I wanted to. Uh, not the way that I envisioned that third round going. I thought that would have been the weakest round for Justin James, but he definitely fought for his money that night. Unfortunately, he made some little mistakes and uh, gave up that fight. I truly thought charles rosa won that fight rounds one and two uh and uh yeah definitely deserved to get his hand raised at the end of it uh but good win for rosa we catch the lock on the night bet we uh, uh snap our two event losing streak and we get back on track and we're hoping to parlay it again into uh, another three four five six seven event winning streak just like we used to do um and then the dog of the night played that whiffs by like a minute and a half uh julia vila goes out there and submits julia stoliarenko with about a minute left in the fight but we had the under two and a half at plus 135 1.5 units that's minus 1.5 units there uh you know violence throughout the card that, or, or that fight there's plenty of finishing opportunities but uh ultimately avila had to wait until the end of the fight to eventually get that uh that finish of her so good win for her but we end up ripping up our under two and a half tickets shout out to anybody that took the fight doesn't go to decision instead that extra two and a half minutes definitely paid off in that fight so all in all plus 1.36 units on the card again back in the green uh snap the two event losing streak and hopefully we can parlay it into some bigger uh and, and uh more longer 
uh, lock of the night hit streak. So with it, it, you know, the second one coming up right here with UFC 264. Hopefully, we can get the dub this weekend and make it two winning events in a row. All right, a uh, couple quick plugs, then we'll get into the podcast. Uh, Patreon.com slash MMAOTN. Link is in the description below. Uh, I have all my bets for this card already posted on there. They will be released for free on Friday to the public, but if you guys want them right now, check out the Patreon. Five bucks a month, super cheap, plus a ton of other perks. I already dropped my best bets and props article on there, going through every single fight on this card, giving you my best bet and my best prop, as long as as well as my confidence rating on every single bet, so you guys get a little bit of a better idea of where my hat, head is at for this card. I have two lock of the night plays for this weekend, as well as two dog of the night plays, so that's something that you guys are going to want to check out as well. And then we have a great Discord community attached to the Patreon that people just love. It is lively. Every time I look at it, there's like 50 plus messages that i missed out on uh dropping picks just uh for other sports as well we got a lot of guys on there that love uh betting on other sports and sharing the plays with us uh mlb nba nhl all that shit uh they they definitely throw some picks in there so there's other stuff for you guys to tell if you'd like as well so patreon.com slash mmaotn make sure you guys check that out that's the best way to, to support your boy lastly coolbet coolbet.com uh promo code uh <laughs> mma lotn2 it's been a while since i've done this if you guys can't tell mma lotn that's the number two that's the bonus code they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks uh and trust me it, it's a great website you can parlay props you can uh you know uh, they got great lines as well that's right i actually placed one of my lock of the night bets for this weekend uh was able to get a great line on it better than any of the other bookies that i'm on uh and and they're a very solid uh, bookie very up to date in terms of their um layout and all the features that they have so trust me you're going to want to check it out link is in the description like i said but the promo code is mma lotn2 make sure you guys check that out and they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks all right that's a wrap on my end let's get into this uh these breakdowns let's get into these fights hope you guys enjoy it and i'll see you guys on the back end alan amadovsky versus yaozong hu or ku yaozong i'm always going to butcher these chinese name in terms of which order it goes and i always know that it's considered their 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 last name is their first name and their first name comes afterwards so i'm assuming his last name is hu so it should be hu yaozong uh regardless uh in terms of odds we got plus 110 on uh, hu and uh, we got, uh, sorry, it's plus 150 now for Wu and minus 135 for, for Amadovsky. And this fight's been the talk of the town amongst the MMA gambling nerds. And uh, it's because there's always these barn burners or, or sorry, sorry, not barn burners. That's a stretch. A dumpster fire fights that people are like betting on in terms of super low level fighters. Um, and just always trying to find out who is the shittier guy or who's just slightly better. And this is definitely one of those matchups where both guys probably don't really deserve to be in the UFC, especially with the last couple outings that we've seen of them both of them uh you know coming off of two fight losing streaks uh, amadovsky you know giving john phillips his only win inside the ufc in six attempts and then before that going out there and getting grapple fucked by christoph jotko in his ufc debut on the flip side with yazong uh he has losses to cyril asker who was a guy that i loved fading back in the day and then uh, rashad Coulter after that but now he's actually going to be able to perform at his optimal weight class which is middleweight at 185 pounds you know he 
took that fight against Earl Oscar on short notice. It definitely showed in his performance regarding his cardio. It seems like it fell off a cliff after that third or fourth minute, and Oscar was able to take over in that second round, eventually get that rear naked choke. And then in the Rashard Coulter fight, he still seemed like he was being bullied around a little bit too much. It seemed like he was outmuscled by Rashard Coulter. And even though it was a close fight, somewhat anticlimactic fight, not much action in that fight, you could make a case that Yozong actually ended up winning that fight. But now, three years off, had a 10-month uh, USADA suspension that he had to go through, I believe, back in 2019. But he's uh, he's changing it up. Like I said, going down to 185 pounds. He used to train at Jackson Wings a couple times. Uh, now he uh, spent a good majority of time at Tiger Muay Thai, as well as the UFC uh, PI Shanghai uh, sorry let me let me try that again ufc shanghai pi uh that's a mouthful for sure trying to say that uh consecutively but uh you you can definitely see with some of the the work that he's putting in definitely in great shape best shape we've ever seen him in getting some good work in with some good guys uh but he seems to have a little bit more of a well-roundedness to his game compared to what amadovsky brings to the table amadovsky seems like one of those guys that just wants to go out there and try to take your head off uh seems very stiff and throws with a lot of heat behind his shots which ultimately allows him to or forces him to gas himself out uh especially if his opponents start to put on a, a pace on him similar to what Christoph Jotko was successful in doing in terms of dragging the fight to the ground and just wearing on him and then grinding him out via decision he made the stupidest mistake that you could absolutely make against John Phillips in a fight where you know all you gotta do is take John Phillips down that takes away all the big power that he has and then you just grind him out that way but he chose to trade with John Phillips and within 14 seconds he found himself looking up at the lights because that's the last thing you want to do against a fighter that whose only win condition seems to be a knockout and uh, Amadovsky was like fuck it let's veer right into it and he gets knocked out within 14 seconds so he's been out of the cage for a while now too and it seems like most of his uh, work he's been popping up over there at Extreme Couture while also uh, training out of Bulgaria as well where he finds I believe his home gym there um, so he's trying to you know really redefine his game as well so i'm interested to see what kind of approach we see from him here outside of his ufc career he has a couple wins in bellator there was one fight on the regional scene where you know there was a lot of grappling involved he took his opponent down his opponent reversed him submission attempts all that type of stuff so it seemed like amadovsky had a decent game off of his back like he was offensive but we saw none of that against christoph jocko and it didn't really seem too threatening especially to the opponent that he had on that regional scene there now amadovsky was undefeated before coming into the ufc but now you see when he starts fighting uh legitimate competition he's going to start to fall falter the the jury is still out whether whether yuzhong is actually uh a legitimate competition and we're going to find that out this weekend i will ultimately side with the younger yazong who's now 26 years old compared to the 23 year old boy he was during his ufc initial stint his first two fights uh so i definitely think we'll see a ton of improvements from him this time around but it also seems like the game plan is there just take the jotko game plan take this guy to the ground over and over again just grind him out and you should be able to pull away the longer that this fight goes and i ultimately think that we'll see yazong take this fight via decision just by grinding amadovsky out caged work take the takedowns it doesn't seem too hard to take Amadovsky down but both guys have been out of the cage for a good amount of time so I'm interested to see who has made the most improvement and who should be able to take advantage of their opponent uh more in this fight but I do think it's ultimately going to be Yozong level of confidence not that high though it's we're, we're pretty much just banking on who's um 
potential here. Like we can't really bank on what we've seen inside the cage, other than a couple of bright spots here and there against Rashad Coulter. But uh, you know, if if he brings that same type of game plan, that same type of energy, I think he could end up losing this fight and even him getting knocked out. But uh, I'm banking on potential, not to the point of actually put my money on it. But I will be taking Yazong to win this fight, and I'll take him to win it via decision. Zalgas Zumagulov versus Jerome Rivera. We got heavy chalk on the Kazakhstani fighter Zalgas Zumagulov. He's coming in at minus 310 and we got plus 255-ish on Jerome Rivera. It seems like most other places it's about three, minus 350 for Zumagulov uh, and then obviously minus 310. Uh, but obvious chalk on Zumagulov as expected. He did have a pretty good uh, regional run before coming to the UFC with wins over guys like Tyson Nam, uh, Ali Bagoutinov, and a robbery over Tagir Ula and Bakov, but it is what it is. He ended up getting his hand raised that night. He did come into the UFC as the Fight Night's global champion and, uh, you know, has fallen short in both of his two fights that he's had inside the UFC. Uh, the Holly and Paiva fight, close fight, probably could have gone his way, comes out on the losing end, and then the next fight, Amir Al-Bosby lands takedowns at good uh, uh, moments and then obviously gets the better of some of the stri striking exchanges uh, giving Zuma Gulov his second loss inside the UFC now here against Jerome Rivera v Rivera is on uh, tough times as well 0-3 inside the UFC he only had his contender series fight back in uh, I believe August of last year and since then has put together three fights and now he's coming into his fourth fight it's going to be four fights within eight, uh, eight uh, sorry, within uh, a year, which is absolutely crazy. The guy is staying uh, very, very busy. And, uh, you know, unfortunately for him, he's just not able to pull out a win, though. First fight, uh, obviously losing to Tyson Nam. He had a very good first round where he was, you know, putting up the numbers, putting up the volume. And that's exactly how, how I thought he was going to win that fight. Unfortunately for him, he ran into one of those Tyson Nam bombs, which we all know that he possesses. And he ended up getting knocked out that night. His next fight takes on Davidson's brother, Francisco uh, Figueredo, ends up losing that fight via decision. And then quickly thereafter, two or three weeks after that, goes out there and gets knocked out by O'Day Osborne within 26, 26 seconds of their fight. Now here he is against Zumagulov, who doesn't really present much of a knockout threat compared to what his uh, past opponents have been able to do, uh, which leads me to believe that he has the potential to go out there potentially make this fight a lot closer than what the, the odds actually indicate. Zumagulov has only had one knockout victory in the last however many years i believe it's been four or five years but even that before that it's been a long time since you'd have to find another knockout victory on his record he seems more like a point fighter style type of fighter that likes to put his combinations together maybe land a takedown here uh here and there but jerome rivera could definitely match that type of volume and output and possibly even make this a much closer fight than the line indicates i'm ex uh, I, i've been saying all week my prediction is actually zuma golov to win this to win this fight via decision and the decision prop is probably the probably the best way to, to approach this fight uh and even on the jerome rivera jerome rivera side you know taking plus 550 ish on him to win via decision is a decent sprinkle considering how close he can make this fight I think it's all going to come down to volume or if Zuma Gulov is actually successful in taking this fight to the ground to maybe sway the judges a little bit more rather than just relying you know, heavily on his striking approach. Um, because if he just goes out there and tries to strike for 15 minutes against Rivera, Rivera has decent mobility, has good movement, has good footwork, and can actually put up a little bit of volume, which could give Zuma Gulov some issues here. So my official prediction to win is going to be Zuma Gulov by decision. But if I was to bet anything here... I'm not parlaying Zumagulov in this spot. I'm taking Jerome Rivera in terms of a bet. Uh, I'm not officially betting him or anything like that. But if I was forced to put my money on this, I would rather take the value on Jerome Rivera, which he presents. And again, a lot of people.
people are on him uh, in a buy low spot here, considering he's on an 0-3 streak. He has that image of the guy that, you know, is just a pushover at this time point in time. That's when they get you, right? Jin Yu Fry is another... Uh, 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 you know uh, another example of a fighter that was in a severe buy low state and then she goes out there and pulls off a victory uh against i believe it was gloria de padua i, I could be off on that but she was able to you know right her wrongs for the last couple of ufc fights and pull off a victory and that's what jerome rivera is absolutely live to do this weekend against zumagulov so don't be going out there and putting zumagulov on all your tickets sure you can throw him on a parlay ticket here or there uh but i do think that it's going to be much tougher than that line actually indicates and i I think you'll be sweating that ticket but i do actually ultimately think that it ends up cashing so i do like zuma gulav here i'll take him by decision the line is too wide the value is on jerome rivera jerome rivera via decision plus 550 might get a sprinkle of my dollars uh but ultimately i am going to take zuma gulav to win this fight via decision Brad Tavares versus Omari Akhmedov. We got minus 160 on the Hawaiian Tavares and plus 140 on the Russian, uh, or sorry, the Dagestani uh, Omari Akhmedov. Now, uh, clear and easy way to break this fight down. Akhmedov wants to land takedowns. Tavares wants to keep this on the feet and get his striking going. Uh, and it's going to be interesting because I do believe that this fight probably comes down to that second round. And whoever is able to kind of win that round should be able to win this fight. And now why I say that is I believe that Omar Yakmatov will be successful in taking this fight to the ground in the first round. But I do, do think that he's going to struggle in terms of keeping Brad Tavares there as well as getting off enough damage to actually score heavily in his favor. But I will ultimately believe that he should at least notch that first round. In the second round though, that's where we're going to start to see whether Brad Tavares is highly touted takedown defense, which I actually believe is kind of underrated. A lot of people do overlook it. Uh, but I do think that uh, it will show off in that round. He should be able to keep the fight vertical and from there he should be able to use his footwork and his superior striking to get off the better shots and land the better damage uh akhmedov has good you know uh, pressure on the feet in terms of uh kind of corralling guys up against the cage and then eventually shooting for takedowns you know he uses wide winging hooks usually you know the, the usual wrestler type of striking approach which is just big bombs to kind of just get their opponent to push back and move past the warning track and then from there you know go in for the takedown push him up against the cage and try to drag it to the ground I think you'll be unsuccessful in doing so here against Brad Tavares. Now, the fight that people keep bringing up is the UL Romero fight, which was seven years ago, where Romero was able to land, I believe, about six or seven takedowns in that fight, and obviously win that fight via decision. Tavares is a much different fighter since that time. I think he's definitely gotten better in that amount of time as well. And I do think that that UL Romero back then is better, much better wrestler than what uh, Omar Yakmedov brings to the table here uh, in 2021. Uh, Again, Akhmedov more often than not is overlooked. Um, you know, I, I do want to say he's somewhat underrated. A lot of people, you know, just say that he has a horrible gas tank and he's always going to end up losing later in fights. And he has been finished earlier on in his UFC career late in fights. But since then, he's really, you know, shored up his cardio to the point that he's not just going to roll over and die in that third round. So I don't expect Tavares to, you know, who's historically not a finisher, I don't expect Tavares to go out there and finish Akhmedov the later that this fight goes. But I do think that he should have the most amount of success in that third round, landing the better shots, sticking and moving, and getting out of the way of the takedown attempts of Akhmedov. And then Akhmedov will just be forced to, you know, wide wingy gokes, try to land a big bomb on Tavares, try to hurt him, and then eventually corral that into a takedown. But I do think that the straight crisp shot down the middle for Brad Tavares will catch Akhmedov more often than not and then keep Akhmedov on the outside allowing Tavares to get enough damage off in the second and third round to ultimately win this fight via decision. 
Jennifer Maya versus Jessica I. We got minus 175 on Maya and plus 175 or sorry, plus 155 on Jessica I. The line is slowly starting to come in towards that Jessica I side, and for good reason, as I do believe that this fight should be much closer line, much closer to a pick than what the odds currently indicate. Now, I believe the majority of that love for Jennifer Maya right off the bat was coming off the fact that she had a very close... Well, let me, let me, let me back up a little bit not a very close fight with Valentina Shevchenko but she did at least manage to steal one round from Valentina Shevchenko which made people believe that she deserved to be a minus 215 favorite which is what she was sitting at uh, at the opener here I believe bet online was uh sorry no definitely not bet online but yeah five dimes dropped around minus 215 and you know she hovered around minus 200 minus 290 for several days and now the money is starting to come in on Jessica I and for good reason I truly believe that this division is like Valentina Shevchenko and then a crop of ladies that are similarly skilled and then like the worst of that division. I'm talking about the 125 pound flyweight division, which has a newcomer. Tatiana Suarez is apparently coming up to 125 pounds after all the surgeries and stuff that she's had. So she's definitely, you know, I'd say she's the biggest threat to Valentina Shevchenko at this point in time. Uh, but in terms of that middle group, that that group that's, you know, more than likely will always get a title shot against Valentina Shevchenko if they get even one win uh, over other women in that category. But women in that category, I, I'd list as Andrea Lee, Lauren Murphy, Jessica I, uh, Jennifer Maya, um, uh, Joanne Caldwood, uh, you could throw Viviani Arujo in there, maybe not as much, uh, Roxanne Modafferi, like those women, more, and more often than not, in those, when those women are matched up against each other, they should be closer to a pick em fight, because they have uh, tendencies to fight very close fights, they are equally skilled, may not be as skilled in certain uh, aspects of MMA as uh, their opponents, but they still have certain advantages of their opponents. In this particular matchup between Jennifer Maia and Jessica I, I believe that high line is, is coming because of that round two win, or that round two success that she had against Valentina Shevchenko. Now, what that success was, was Shevchenko going for a takedown, got a little bit lazy with it, got reversed, and Jennifer Maya was able to stay on top for about two and a half to three minutes in that second round and pretty much take that round. But that's not typically her game. You know, in six UFC fights, she's two of four on takedowns. She's only shot four takedowns. She's normally a striker. She goes out there, she strikes. She likes to kind of just get her Muay Thai going, get her shooter box style going. I believe she even has a giant shooter box tattoo on her thigh. <laughs> like that is her game. She has a submission game too. Don't get me wrong. The Jojo Calderwood fight, right? She gets a, she gets taken down. Again, she's not the one that initiated that. She gets taken down and she uh, pulls off an armbar. Again, not often that you see Jennifer Maya actually getting a finish. More often than not, her fights go to a decision. So that was an, an anomaly in itself. Now here against Jessica, I'm expecting a striking battle. Even if Jennifer Maya wants to go out there and try to seek takedowns, I think she's going to struggle to get the takedowns as I don't think that her wrestling offense is that great. I think she just caught Valentina Shevchenko off guard with that reversal and she was able to land that. I don't think that this is going to be Cynthia Calvillo taking down Jessica over and over again over you know 15 minutes or 25 minutes like when they fought. I think Jessica will keep this fight on the feet. I think both women are going to, uh, you know, uh, willingly engage in striking battles and, and exchanges and I think that Jessica has all the chops in the world to make it a much closer fight than the line indicates she's going to go out there she's going to throw combinations you know she, just as she showed in the Viviani Rujo fight and the Catlin Chukagian fight when she goes first and she goes often 
she's very successful and i can see that happening in this fight against jennifer Maya, who you know doesn't throw as much volume as joanne calderwood uh, is uh, did so i'm throwing that fight out the window in terms of just guys last performance and then cynthia calvillo was successful on takedown after takedown after takedown uh which i don't think that uh jessica i will be able to do here or sorry which i don't think jennifer Maya will be able to do here against i so I like this fight to be a very competitive fight. I think it's going to be competitive. I think it'll go all 15 minutes. I think it's mainly going to be striking exchanges, a couple of clinch positions here and there, but I think it's going to be close throughout. With that said, I, I like Jessica I here as an underdog, and I think she has a good amount of value here to go out there and actually fight for your money, land better combinations, maybe throw a little bit more volume than Jennifer Maya, mix it up a little bit more too, and get the dub via decision so plus 235 jessica i view decision not too bad of a line even the, the 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 money line on her is pretty good i think around plus 155 plus 160 uh i like jessica I here like i said i think this should be a pick em, and i'm going to take the value side on jessica i and again not just value i think that she will fight and make this a very close fight and has a very good shot to actually win it as well too so i'm going jessica i to win this fight via decision Trevin Giles versus Drickus Duplessis. And we got a pick em here. We got minus 110 on either side. Uh, and it's very indicative of how this fight should probably play out. Very close fight uh, and very tough to really break down in terms of who should have the edge here. Now, we can only break down what we've seen on tape so far, right? And the one thing that's constant with both guys here is... They're pretty lackadaisical in their approach when it comes to, out to output and actually being a very, you know, volume-based and trying to pull away with fights with, with their striking alone. Drickus Duplessis seems to, you know, often be on his back foot, rely on his power a little bit too much, but, you know... Uh, he he's pretty good with this submission game too uh when he does decide to take the fight to the ground as nine out of his 15 victories have come via submission giles on the other hand very good jiu-jitsu practitioner himself so i think he'll be okay in that aspect which leads me to believe that this fight will mainly take place on the feet and i think ultimately it'll be driven giles's uh striking uh specifically behind that jab of his which i believe will be too fast for drake to kind of get used to and kind of start to telegraph and uh two i think it will allow him to really open up his combinations behind that as well but again if both guys go out there and just stare at each other it's going to be tough to really uh, see who ends up winning this fight. I know a good a, ch a good chunk of their fights have gone to, or sorry, have finished inside the distance. But I think the way that these guys match up here, we'll actually see it go the full 15 minutes. I think we saw, we'll see Trevin Giles stay on the outside jab up Drakus Duplessis and then eventually just you know throw a couple uh combinations behind that um again I believe his speed is going to be very important here so that he can land those jabs and then also the fact that Duplessis in my opinion seems to allow his opponent to kind of dictate the pace at times will kind of be to his uh, downfall here as Trevin Josh should be the one that's going to be moving forward pushing the pressure really sticking his flag in the middle of that cage and and showcasing that he's the you know the, the more active fighter again a little bit not not too too much confidence on this side here because i'm not really that big on giles myself and i really thought i'd be a lot bigger or higher on drikas duplessis especially when his, when he made his ufc debut but there's not much to really really go off of like i said low output he has a great record only two losses both of them being two uh you know decent guys gareth mclennan was you know pretty good back in the day and then obviously uh getting his uh 
his big win over Roberto Soldich, uh, and then quickly, you know, losing to Soldich right after that. Um, he wasn't able to really parade around with that KSW belt for too long, as they definitely did want to sell, sell or sell Soldich a lot more than uh, Duplessis. Uh, and can you really blame them? Uh, so, you know, Duplessis has fought some good competition on the regional scene, and obviously a big win in his UFC debut against Marcus Perez. But I think that this is going to be a tougher one against Trevin Giles, especially when he's getting jabbed up for the majority of the fights. Uh, yeah, I don't have too much more to say on this fight just because I'm a little bit flabbergasted in regards to uh, who's going to be more assertive here. And I still end up coming on one side saying that it's going to be Trevin Giles. So I will go with Trevin Giles. Uh, jab, jab, jab. Uh, activity, activity, activity. And just uh, outwork Duplessis and hopefully not get knocked out or completely gas out, which is, you know, it seems like Giles' gas tank is Jekyll and Hyde at times, where sometimes it looks great, sometimes he's finishing guys late, and then other times it just falls off a cliff and then his opponents just kind of grind him out. Uh, but I'm hoping that he's able to dictate the, dictate the pace in this fight, push the pressure a little bit, uh, and, and just continuously jab uh, Duplessis, land a couple combinations, maybe get some cage control, maybe a takedown here and there. But Giles should win this fight, and I'm going to take him to win by decision. Um, but one of my le lesser confident fights on this card. Ilya Taporia versus Ryan Hall. We got minus 230 on Taporia and plus 190 on Ryan Hall. Let's start off on the Ryan Hall side of things, who's been out of the cage for a while now, coming up on a two on the two-year anniversary since the last time he stepped in the cage and beat Darren Elkins via decision. And Taporia, on the other hand, just made his UFC debut back in October and then uh, capped off his uh, year with the two wins inside the UFC, beating Yusuf Salah by decision and then quickly dispatching of Damon Jackson via punches in his second fight very interesting matchup here we got uh, Ilya Taporia I might be off on this fact but I believe he's one of the first ever black belts in Spain uh, and it definitely showcases what the amount of chokes and submissions he's been able to rack up over his MMA career but also the way that he's able to attack with his wrestling which seems to be you know earlier on in his career that was definitely his go-to move is get the fight to the ground and get his either ground and pound going or find a submission of some sort and, and dispatching of his his opponents that way um very impressive prospect i've been following the guy since he fought brian buland over three years ago back at cage warriors i believe it was cage warriors 94 and he was a very slight underdog well a moderate underdog plus 150 ish i believe he was that night against buland who was the champ if i'm not mistaken or at least one of the guys that cage warriors was trying to push at the time Tapuria comes in relatively unknown but the tape that was available on him looked very good you know you gotta kind of question the level of competition that he was fighting back then but i liked everything that i saw on him i put a little bit of a weight on him at plus 150 and it paid off for me that night and i'm uh i've been on his train ever since the kid is a powerhouse the kid has a ton of potential he's still only 24 years old and has a ton of time to grow and really pan out to be one of the best fighters in the ufc this is a great matchup for him in in terms of fighting ryan hall in terms of you know he has great jujitsu already so i don't think he'll be too in too much trouble if he does get tangled up with ryan hall on the ground here but i wouldn't recommend him go out there and try to you know tangle up with ryan hall on the ground uh i think the best way for him to win this fight is if he keeps it in the stand-up realm and you know ryan hall uh very flashy and very loose and wild on the feet because he just doesn't care about being toppled over and taken advantage of in terms of getting taken to the ground 
uh, he trusts in his MMA or sorry his jiu-jitsu game to the point to the point that uh, he, he allows himself to be so wild on the feet you know spinning hook kicks spinning back kicks um, a lot of spinning stuff a lot of kicks to to really keep his opponents on the outside and then you know every now and then he'll throw an Iminari roll in there or something like that try to get an e-bar try to get a toe hold whatever it might might be I think Tapori is going to be ready for all of it though I think Hall almost telegraphs his shots a little bit too much and I think that we'll see uh, Tapori ready for that and then he should be able to counter with the, some solid combinations and some good power on the back end to really nullify that uh, game of Ryan Hall. Recently, the only guy that's really been able to um, give Ryan Hall any issues, or at least give him his last L, I believe it was, uh, yeah, Saul Rogers on the Contender Series, or sorry, on the Ultimate Fighter Season 22 back in 2015. I can't believe it's been that long since. Uh, Ryan Hall's been inside the UFC. He's, he's been in the UFC since 2015 and has only fought four times in six years. That's that's a shame, especially considering uh, you know how skilled a lot of people believe that he is. But stylistically speaking, this is a bad matchup for him. I don't think he'll be able to find Taporia in any precarious positions. I do think that Taporia will land the better fight uh, strikes when this fight is on the feet, and I think that he finishes uh, Ryan Hall. Uh, the later that this fight goes now a lot of people are banging on Taporia for kind of slowing down late in his fight against Yusuf Zalal but if most people don't really remember the fact that he took that fight on a little bit of short notice first UFC fight I'm sure there were some UFC jitters there and then obviously fighting a skilled fighter like Yusuf Zalal who was on a run in the UFC at that time um you got to give him the benefit of the doubt now he's getting full training camps he's getting the work in and i think that this is a great opportunity for him to go get a good scalp like ryan hall onto his belt so i do think that he finishes ryan hall i think that this is kind of an easy fight for him he is deserving of that minus 220 ish range that he's currently at and uh yeah i I definitely like him as a parlay piece for this this card and i wouldn't be mad at anybody that's actually putting him putting him on it so i'm going to poria and i'll go with to poria second let's go second round tko nico price versus michelle pereira we got minus 155 on pereira and plus 135 on nico price now this is one of those fights that a lot of people are going to be expecting to be a barn burner and sure there will be opportunities in this fight for it to be a barn burner and have some entertaining moments but for the most part i think we're really seeing an evolution of mature michelle pereira where i I think he's going to go out there and really you know showcase that he can be effective with his wild and unorthodox style while also being controlled right like he showed in that chaos williams fight had some success fighting on the outside and then mixing in takedowns late to really secure the later rounds and i'm expecting him to do the same thing here against nico price the issue with nico price is that there's so much power in everything that he he has is like his kicks his knees his elbows his punches everything that the guy throws out there uh he can knock you out with and obviously from any position too as we learned with the james vick fight with his up kick knockout and as we learned from the randy brown fight with his uh, hammer fist knockout from his back uh the guy can knock you out from pretty much anywhere but i think that Pereira will be able to stay out of big danger here he needs to be very careful especially when he's throwing his wild looping winging stuff uh to make sure that his defenses are up and ready to go whenever uh, nico price wants to go out there and counter 
I think Nico Price is more so of a, a one and done one with his shots. He has some weird, awkward combinations, especially with how he's built. The guy is just, uh, I think on one of my live streams that I just recently did, somebody said that he's built like a Dorito, and I couldn't agree more. The guy is like just so wide with his shoulders, and then it just comes so narrow uh, the, the, the lower that his body goes. Uh, but it's definitely helped him in terms of generating a ton of power and knocking out guys and, and being a very effective there. But like when it comes down to the technical aspect of it he still does make some mistakes that a lot of fighters are able to take advantage of I truly think that Pereira is very very skilled and especially if he can harness that craziness of his and that that chaoticness of his fighting style he can be a very good fighter needs to be disciplined needs to make sure his cardio is good and then obviously needs to make his uh, striking defense very sharp as well otherwise he's going to start getting knocked out by some of these opponents i did bet Pereira in his ufc debut against danny roberts as i didn't believe in the chin of danny roberts and luckily that came through for me uh, and I didn't back him in his next two fights where he obviously ended up losing to Tristan Carnley as a heavy favorite and then again DQ'd by, uh, in the Diego Sanchez fight. But he showed some really good work in that Chaos Williams fight that leads me to believe that he's slowly starting to round out his game and truly uh, becoming a fighter that uh, could make a run in that, in that top 10 of this division. Uh, Nico Price is a very tough out don't get me wrong he had a very good performance uh, against Vicente Luque in a, even in a loss and that one I believe was the first fight back from the whole COVID situation and then he just went to a draw with uh, Cowboy Cerrone I believe he was deducted a point in that fight for continuously poking Cowboy Cerrone in the eye um, and then he got a point taken away in that fight that fight ultimately becomes a draw I still do think that uh, Pereira you know out outworks him stays on the outside you know lands his stuff uh he's very fast he's very quick he's a huge guy too at this weight class which i think is very much going to help him especially with securing takedowns the later that this fight goes and i think that's where nico price will try to will find some trouble uh if nico price doesn't find that kill shot i think he's going to find a tough time uh or find it tough to to truly track down Pereira and get his own damage off and if he can't do so i think he's going to be in a ton of trouble so i'm going michelle Pereira uh hopefully disciplined michelle Pereira, Pereira, uh and i think he's going to win this fight via decision carlos condit versus max griffin we got minus 185 on max griffin and plus 160 on carlos the natural born killer condit and we'll start off on the condit side of things who's actually coming off a two-fight winning streak after he had initially uh settled for retirement or i believe it was he he said that he was going to retire after his loss to michael chiesa and uh he only took about a year or so off i believe he started uh, a coffee company he tried his hand at a bunch of different things but i'm assuming nothing was lucrative uh, lucrative enough to keep him outside of the cage and he feels like he still had a couple more years to give to the sport and luckily enough for him the ufc matched him up pretty well uh, in his first two fights back since his retirement and he's been able to pick up two unanimous decision victories in both of them the first one the court mcgee fight that seemed to be a, a picture perfect fight stylistically speaking for court mcgee who was a minus 130 favorite going into that fight yet he threw or actually shot for zero takedowns absolutely no takedowns which makes zero sense to me considering that's usually the path to victory that a lot of people have been able to use against uh, carlos condit there's so many fights that you if you just look through his ufc stats page they just continuously take him down there's guys that have three four five even six takedowns in a fight against a guy like carlos condit 
and you know his jujitsu is always highly touted but it's been absolutely uh, it's been years and years since he's actually been able to actually pull off a, a submission victory i, I want to give you guys the legit statistic in terms of the last time he actually pulled off a submission but i'm certain it wasn't even in the ufc that he's been able to secure a submission victory i just want to run that so uh, he's had a couple of tko wins uh but in terms of a submission last time he got a submission win it was a guillotine choke 13 years ago 13 and a half years ago against carlo prater and the wec that was two fights before he made his ufc debut so that just goes to show he, he might look a little offensive and stuff off of his back uh and he has hit a couple reversals in his fights but in terms of actually locking up a submission he's just been nowhere near uh, nowhere close in terms of actually locking something up and winning a fight via submission and like i said 13 and a half years so i think that narrative is a little bit overblown uh obviously his striking is good he has some good volume striking uh very good in terms of diversifying his attack knees kicks you know elbows combinations he looks very good when he's on just like he was in the court mcgee fight and uh the matt brown fight played out a little bit differently <clears throat> like i said the the court mcgee fight court mcgee played the perfect carlos condit fight just fought him at range and uh that's exactly where carlos condit was able to do his best work uh outlanding uh court mcgee i believe just by a, a slim margin but it was still uh him landing the more significant strikes that uh, allowed him to get the win that night then his next fight against matt brown uh you know gets taken down in the first round and to my surprise it seemed like every single judge actually gave that round to carlos condit i know matt brown was on top and maybe carlos was doing some work off of his back but i thought that should have been a matt brown round Regardless, it's not. Carlos Condit ends up taking the next two rounds, but it goes to show, even though Matt Brown went one of, uh, I believe it was a one of five on takedown attempts or one of six on takedown attempts there, uh, it shows that you can actually control Carlos Condit pretty well from on top. And I feel like somebody with a little bit better of a gas tank than Matt Brown is going to completely be able to expose him or, you know, we've had uh, plenty of guys in the past that have been able to ex expose him uh, since he doesn't really have the, you know, uh, the best game off of his back again his jiu-jitsu game off of his back seems like it's threatening but it's really not as long as you know what you're doing from the top position well max griffin on the other hand you have a guy that, another guy that's on two fight winning streak and uh you know a little bit more brutal than what carlos condit has been going through over his last two fights if you guys remember griffin goes out there and just rips off the ear of uh, Ra uh ramiz brahimai uh, that was a fight where, uh, you know, he was having a lot of success in the first two rounds. And then that third round, he was really starting to pour it on uh, Ramiz and then landed a beautiful level in the clinch, which ultimately tore the, the ear almost completely off of uh, Brahimai's head. Uh, so good win for Griffin there. Then he goes out there and knocks out Kanan Song halfway through the first round. Beautiful combination that just lands on him. And uh, it goes to show that is... <clears throat> His forward moving, his heavy pressure at the beginning of fights can really break fighters, especially if they're not prepared for it. Uh, Carlos Condit, I believe, notoriously speaking, is a slow starter. So I think uh, pretty much the first round you can chalk up to Max Griffin winning it. But to me, it comes down to how often Griffin, Griffin is going to go out there and land takedowns and just be dominant from on top. And I think he, he knows when he has to go out there and land takedowns and use that as his primary uh, method of winning a fight. He goes and does it just like he did in this Liam Imadaya fight. <clears throat> The Alex Morona fight doesn't really want to tie up with Morona on the ground there. Uh, the Alex Oliveira fight had tons of success in that fight. Easily could have won that fight rounds one and three, in my opinion. And it was funny that no or two judges gave uh, Alex Oliveira the first round, and uh, then every judge gave Max Griffin the third round. I'm thinking if you give Griffin the third round, you definitely have to give him the first round. So I thought uh, Griffin definitely won that fight. But again, 
decision is what it is. Can't be too mad at that for, for what's going down there. But I still do like uh, Griffin in the spot to go out there and land numerous takedowns time and time again. And I think his jiu-jitsu and top pressure is good enough to uh, kind of nullify whatever Condit's going to be throwing off of his back, as well as nullify any of the reversals that uh, Carlos Condit might try to swindle himself into. Uh, there is the possibility that Condit could take Griffin down, but I do think that Griffin has a good enough get-up game and even reversal game that he should be able to kind of nullify the amount of damage and work that Carlos Condit is going to be doing from on top. I think their cardio is kind of, you know, canceling each other out. Both guys can go a hard three rounds, definitely, and they can go out there and definitely win the third round as well. Um, I, I just find it hard that Condit is truly going to get as comfortable as he did in the Court McGee fight to go out there and just outwork and outvolume Max Griffin on the feet. I think Max Griffin is great all around. I think he's just a, a good enough fighter to go out there and beat a guy like Carlos Condit, who at this time uh, still, you know, 37 years old, still can't go out there and, uh, you know, stop takedowns consistently enough uh, against, you know, decent level of competition uh, and guys that are closer to their primes. And that's exactly what we're getting here with Max Griffin, who should be able to ground this fight more often than not. So I, I like Griffin here. You know, I think that this is a very good spot for him to go out there and ground Condit time and time again and just grind this fight out. Is he going to finish him? More than likely not. You know, I, I don't, I'd be kind of surprised if we saw Griffin go out there and submit a guy like Carlos Condit. But I do think that he'll have a lot of success from on top, landing big shots, keeping Carlos Condit on the ground, and then taking home a decision victory. So I'm going Max Griffin, and I'm taking him to win this fight via decision. Sean O'Malley versus Chris Moutinho. We got minus 800 on Sugar Sean O'Malley, and we got plus 550 on Chris Moutinho. And we all know what's going on here. Sugar Sean was obviously supposed to uh, fight Luis Smoka on this card. Smoka pulls out in steps Moutinho uh, to the surprise of, you know, nobody. You know, it seems like O'Malley just keeps taking these low-level fights, and he's slowly becoming the UFC's uh, Michael Venom page. Uh, you know, just taking all these fights, shows that he has a ton of skills but whenever you know he he just can never get that fight with that high level opponent i'd say the highest level of opponent that he's fought is obviously marlon vera but that fight ended pretty uh anticlimactically with uh you know uh sean o'malley's leg giving up on him and then obviously uh marlon vera just really hounding him after that uh then goes out there has a great performance against thomas almeida shows why a lot of people have high hopes for him and now we're getting a stinker here with Chris Moutinho who just doesn't seem like he can take a strike at all. Uh, Moutinho uh, was on a two-fight losing streak, uh, one uh, loss against uh, Tony Gravely, uh, current UFC fighter who has a very bright future of his own, and then Johnny Cupcakes Campbell who just recently pulled off a huge upset win in Bellator a couple weeks ago, uh, knocked out Moutinho in the second round or third round of their fight I believe. Uh, then he goes on a two-fight winning streak. In the first fight, beats a guy that was 3-0 who was just absolutely whooping Moutinho's ass in that first round. Uh, it seemed like he gassed himself out whooping his ass. And then eventually, uh, Moutinho was able to take over in that second round and get the finish of his own. Uh, and then the next fight, fighting a 6-5 and five Andrew Salas, who just seemed to completely blow his wad in that second round. Or sorry, uh, three minutes into that first round. And then eventually, Moutinho finishes him late in that third round. Um... You know, the commentators were making it sound like Moutinho was this crazy striker and looked really good and all that. But I think it was due to the fact that, like I said, Salas gassed halfway through round one, was very slow, 
not a great fighter. It could make anybody look good. So I'm, I would be surprised. You know what? I'd be very interested to see what Sugar Sean O'Malley does to a guy like Andrew Salas compared to what Moutinho was putting on against him. Uh, with that said, I was looking and begging and hoping that there would be even a little glimmer of hope for my guy Chris Moutinho here, but there's just not, man. I think that O'Malley, four-inch height advantage, but even like thickness, you're going to definitely see a huge difference between these guys. They're going to look like they're two weight classes apart here. Uh, Sean O'Malley should go out there and completely let his game go and uh, he should get a quick finish here i'd be surprised if he doesn't stop him in the first round so i'm going sean o'malley first round ko you know not too much to really break down here we know what o'malley does well very unorthodox game good feints good footwork great distance management and obviously great kicks and huge power which obviously allows him to knock out his opponents relatively quickly and then moutinho on the other hand it does not look like he likes getting hit not saying anybody likes getting hit but you know when you're a fighter that's something that you have to accept and then obviously you know he's been rocked so many times he's been finished uh, a handful of times as well i'd be mystified if o'malley doesn't go out there and just starts this kid with that first round so i'm going o'malley i'd say the way that i pro why the way i'd approach it o'malley inside the distance i know it's super chalky around minus 300 that's a great spot i do think he wins this fight relatively easily uh if you want to get a little bit riskier o'malley in round one is slate plus money i'd take a stab on that as well but I think O'Malley gets this done with not much concern at all. So I'm going O'Malley, first round knockout. Do I even need to break this down even more for you guys? Let's be honest. Irene Aldana versus Yana Kunitskaya. We got minus 120 on um, the Mexican and plus 100 on Yana Kunitskaya. Let's start off on the Kunitskaya side of things, who's on a little bit of a run right now, has a pretty dominant victory over, or actually a pretty solid victory over Ketlin Vieira last time around where she outstruck her 215 total strikes to about 35 even though she gave up about nine minutes of control time or eight and a half minutes of control time uh Kuniska was definitely the one dishing out the damage for the majority of that fight as Ketlin Vieira had a very tough weight cut it was evident on the scales and then it was obviously evident inside the cage as her cardio seemed to really uh you know go down the drain uh as the fight was going on and uh Kunitskaya was definitely the fresher fighter landing the more damage and ultimately gets her hand raised that night so good one for Kunitskaya especially as a plus 200-ish underdog going into that fight uh before that uh she goes out there and gets a win over Yulia Stolyarenko completely controlling up against the cage for the better part of 10 minutes and then winning that fight via decision and it seems like Kunitskaya is slowly starting to come into her own knowing what her strengths are and taking full advantage of that which is takedowns control time and just smothering her opponents which is something I expect her to completely do here against Irene Aldana classic striker versus grappler right you got Kuninskaya grappler you got Aldana striker who wants to keep this fight on the feet and really let her strikes go and hopefully find a knockout otherwise I do think that Kuninskaya is going to get her paws on her clinch fuck her and then eventually get her to the ground and then eventually uh you know just smother her I'd be surprised if Kuninskaya gets a finish of any sort whether it's a DKO or submission I think she's gonna you know it's gonna be one of those instances where she's passing guard and then Aldana retains guard and then she passes guard and then she retains guard She's going to continuously advance, but then she might get, uh, uh, you know, put back into guard. But we should see some good activity from Kunitskaya on top to keep the fight grounded uh, so the referee doesn't stand it up. And then eventually she should be able to get at least, you know, maybe six to eight minutes of solid control time here to eventually take home a decision of victory. So I like Kunitskaya here. I like her as a slight dog. The money's been gradually coming in on her uh, and, and people seem to like her in the spot. They're going with the grappler. And why wouldn't you, especially with Kunitskaya having as much success 
as she's had over her last several fights. So I'm going Kunitskaya. Uh, I'm going to take her by decision. I think she's a decent dog spot. Very minimal dog here. Again, plus 100-ish on most spots, plus 105 at a couple other spots. But I do think that she actually wins this fight uh, using that grappa-heavy approach and uh, grinding this fight out. I'm taking Yana Kunitskaya to win this fight via decision. Tai Tuivasa versus Greg Hardy. We got minus 130 on Tuivasa and plus 110 on Greg Hardy. Now, Tuivasa, obviously a, a solid UFC veteran at this point, has a main event under his belt, has fought some solid names inside the heavyweight division. With Greg Hardy, on the other hand, though, he's still ascending the ranks a little bit, starting to fight tougher and tougher competition as his MMA career starts to progress. And now we're slowly starting to see him fall off and start to drop off from that potential that a lot of people had from him earlier on in his MMA career. And I kind of called it, right? Like, I, I believe, I, I I think I bet Marcin Tybura last time around, but I thought that was a great fight for Tybura to win that. Um, and I do think that we're going to see a similar thing happen here with Tai Tuivasa. Now, Greg Hardy will always be the better fighter when his opponents don't really give much resistance, right? This is not going to be a Ben Sassoli type of fight where Sassoli just kind of lets him get off and, you know, do a stick and move type of thing. I'd be very surprised if Sassoli, or sorry, if uh, Tuivasa allows him to do that. I think both guys are going to be trading leg kicks here. Both guys are going to be immobilized by a certain point, but I think that there's going to be certain points where Tuivasa will be able to corral Hardy up against the cage, push him up there, drain him a little bit, wear on him a little bit, and even throw uh, counters uh, that are going to be effective enough in terms of uh, cutting off Greg Hardy whenever he comes in to try to get his combinations going. I I do think that Greg Hardy has a cardio issue, and Tuivasa has an issue of his own, but I think that Hardy falters more with his cardio, especially when he starts to deal with resistance of any sort, and I expect him to deal with resistance here with uh, Tai Tuivasa. If he didn't finish Maurice Green in that second round, it would have looked really, really bad for him, you know, the later that that fight went, as I do believe that Maurice Green probably would have taken over at that point. I don't think that Greg Hardy has great gas tank. It, it looks great, you know, running circles around against uh, guys like Ben Sassoli and stuff. But uh, I'd, I'd be surprised if he's that effective with the, with uh, here against Tai Tuivasa. I think Tuivasa, like I said, is going to land some big strikes. Is going to start to slow down. Uh, Hardy is going to throw some leg kicks of his own. And I think uh, that Greg Hardy is going to be second win come second round. He may not blow his wad as quickly as he did against Marcin Tybura, and we should see him take a little bit more of a measured approach here. But again, I have never really been a big Tuivasa guy here, but I do think that at a certain point, Greg Hardy is going to start finding those guys that are going to be a little bit too tough for him, and Tuivasa fits that mold in my opinion. I don't think that Tuivasa will ever fight for a title or be in top five or anything like that, but he should dispatch of a guy like Greg Hardy who, uh, you know, could get away with beating you know some of these lower level guys uh but i do think that tuivasa is experienced experienced enough at this point to deal with a guy like greg hardy um again the way greg hardy wins stick and move stay on the outside don't blow your wide trying to finish a very durable tuivasa uh and then for tuivasa just try to cut off Greg Hardy, try to counter at the appropriate moments, try to land some leg kicks of your own, corral him up against the cage, clinch fuck him a little bit, drag the fight to the ground if you can, fuck. If not, uh, just get your own striking off and, and you'll find that punch eventually that's going to break Greg Hardy because I do think that Greg Hardy can be broken and I think we'll see Tuivasa do exactly that. So I think the longer that this fight goes, Tuivasa will be able to land the bigger, better strikes and then eventually find that kill shot and possibly round two or round three. For the sake of the podcast, I'm going to go with Tuivasa, and I'm going to take him to win this fight via third round TKO. 
Wonderboy Thompson versus Gilbert Burns. We got minus 170 on Wonderboy and plus 150 on Gilbert Burns. And this is the fight that I'm easily most excited about. Earlier in the week, I did put out a tweet saying that I don't give a fook about the main event that's coming up because I just feel like we've seen too much of it. You know what I mean? Like we had that whole lead up to the January fight and then we had, you know, another fucking five, six months that were just like, ah, oh, they're going to fight again. Let's inject some new blood in there. Let's get Connor up against other different stylistic matchups that we need to see don't really give a fuck but i'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to the connor and poirier breakdown but this fight jumps off the page uh to me a lot more you know this is pretty much a number one contender fight for wonderboy thompson Gilbert Burns has already gone out there and said it wouldn't be fair for me to fight for the title again even if I beat Thompson you're only coming off of one win and he makes a good point there uh, and I respect fighters like that but Wonderboy Thompson three fight or it would be a three fight winning streak if he goes out there and beats uh, Gilbert Burns but previously we saw him go out there and outpoint Vicente Luque in a beautiful fight and I'm going to go back to talk about that fight a little bit uh, a little bit deeper into this breakdown because I do think that that fight gives us a little bit of a look into what Wonderboy Thompson is going to be dealing with here with Gilbert Burns and then obviously he goes out there in December and outworks Jeff Neal over five rounds beautiful performance a, a classic Wonderboy performance to just stick and move stick and move and just you know nullify the amount of big damage that's coming his way and uh, Jeff Neal could just not solve the puzzle that was Wonderboy Thompson that night so uh, Wonderboy, you know, I still think he can compete at a very high level as he's shown in his last two fights. You know, uh, he is 2-2 two and two in his last four fights. A huge case can be made for Wonderboy Thompson winning that Darren Till fight, albeit it was in Darren Till's backyard. So you got to believe that there was a little bit of hometown cooking that was involved there. And then the Anthony Pettis fight. That looked like a fight that was going to be a quintessential five-round Wonderboy Thompson win. Yet Anthony, uh, Anthony Pettis goes out there and pulls off a beautiful, beautiful spinning... Uh, uh, sorry, uh, a Superman punch, uh, jump, jumping a little bit off the cage, I believe he did, uh, and land a, a punch that Thompson definitely was not expecting and knocks him out clean. So, uh, you know, this is the MMA game. Again, he is 2-2, two and two, but this is a different stylistic matchup than what he's had to face in his last four fights outside of a little bit from Vicente Luque, who just happens to be one of Gilbert Burns' main training partners, main coaches that's always in his corner whenever he's fighting. And I feel like he's going to take a little bit of what Luke brought into the Thompson fight and then try to craft his own game plan so that he can actually be successful. Again, Wonderboy Thompson, great kickboxing point style where he just stays on the outside and just waits for his moments to explode. Comes in with a beautiful combination. A lot of off-angle stuff that just leaves a lot of guys kind of questioning where are these punches coming from. He's one of the few fighters that can get away with having his hands down because he just has such good reflexes and is able to get out of the way of the big shots of his opponents and then come back with a beautiful counter of his own. More often than not, when fighters fight with an aggressive style, it kind of works into his game plan, just as we saw in the Vicente Luque fight. You know, and if they want to crash forward and try to throw some stuff, he can just pivot off and then land his combinations, land a kick if he wants to, and then uh, continue to, to pivot it off his own and get his own uh you know defense going and staying out of the way like i said of the big shots of his opponents uh the one caveat a lot of people thought or sorry the one one aspect of the luke fight that a lot of people thought that luke would be successful with uh when going up against a guy like wonderboy thompson and again which is why the line was as close as it was um was the leg kicks you know a lot of people thought that uh, Luke would be very uh, effective with the leg kicks to slow down Wonderboy and then eventually get his hands going but like 
it's so hard to chop down Wonderboy's legs in a three-round fight, especially when he's so successful in terms of changing stances. And he's just as successful as he is from the orthodox position as he is from the southpaw position. So you can go ahead and kick his legs, but it doesn't seem like it's going to phase him much as he'll just change stances on you and uh, you know even try to match your stance, do the opposite stance from you. So it's a little bit harder to get calf kicks and proper leg kicks off, especially when fighters, uh, you know, their strong leg is their front leg. Um, so I do like, um, I do think that Wonderboy Thompson learned some good things from that Vicente Luque fight that he should be able to bring into this fight with Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns was on a bit of a tear before getting his UFC title shot and then obviously gets ended by Kamaru Usman, but you know, beats Alex Alexei Kunchenko, Gunnar Nelson, Damian Maia, Tyron Woodley en route to the title shot, which he ends up falling short in. Now, even with Gilbert Burns, you can go back and look at that uh, Gunnar Nelson fight because Gunnar Nelson, albeit he's not Wonderboy, but he does have a karate type style and one of that, you know, kind of similar to the Wonderboy style. I'd say not as comfortable as Wonderboy is in terms of implementing it effectively in an MMA fight. Uh, but he did, you know, show off that karate style, land some good kicks from the outside. But Wonder, uh, Gilbert Burns was very successful in terms of beating up that lead leg. It seems like Gunner just wasn't as comfortable from his off opposite stance and which is why he was always giving up that front leg and i don't think that wonderboy thompson is going to have that issue as he will be able to switch uh stances as he needs to uh then gunner nelson you know it seemed like he was outstruck on the feet he was eating a lot of leg kicks uh gilbert burns was throwing a lot of big shots uh there were interesting aspects in that fight in terms of gunner nelson trying to get gilbert burns to the ground and gilbert burns just was not giving up any takedowns in that fight now here against wonderboy i wouldn't be surprised to see gilbert burns attack a takedown of any sort but we haven't seen Wonderboy Thompson have to, you know, defend takedowns in a very long time. Uh, you know, it, it's been very difficult to take him down. The only guy that's been like super successful with it and actually won was uh, Matt Brown, but that was like the second or third fight of Stephen Wonderboy Thompson's career inside the UFC. You know, we're talking about April of 2012. So almost 10 years ago that we're talking that Wonderboy Thompson had issues in terms of takedowns. Now here with Gilbert Burns, I wouldn't say the, the greatest takedown fighter uh, or wrestler, but I do think that he has the chops of potentially, you know, trapping Wonderboy Thompson up against the cage and trying to drag him to the ground. But Wonderboy Thompson has been so good in terms of, you know, navigating with his footwork, staying out of the way and, and just not allowing fighters to truly get set on getting a good takedown attempt. But there are instances where Wonderboy Thompson is up against the cage and there are times where he's just like looking and waiting to find which way he can exit. But if an opponent attacks with a, with a takedown, which we haven't seen in the last couple fights, uh, we so it's still yet to be uh, confirmed whether he'll be able to stuff Gilbert Burns' takedowns effectively enough to you know keep his striking game going for the rest of the fight. I think he will be successful in doing so. Again, if I if Gilbert Burns went out there and had like Kamaru Usman type wrestling, Colby Covington type wrestling, um, I'd be a little bit more uh, comfortable with backing Gilbert, but I just don't think he does. I think he's going to have to rely on his striking style, aggressive striking style, land those heavy uh, leg kicks, move forward, and try to you know uh, disrupt Stephen Thompson's game. But I think he's really going to struggle with that. As I said earlier, that an aggressive style against Wonderboy is pretty much playing into Wonderboy's style. He wants you to throw so that he can counter and then get out of the way of any follow-up shots that you're going to be throwing there. 
I think he's going to be too quick for Gilbert. And unless that, uh, you know, Gilbert Burns is very successful with like three, four, five calf kicks at the beginning of the fight at, on the same leg, you know, I think it's going to be hard to de- to debilitate the movement of uh, Wonderboy Thompson. So I really like Wonderboy in this spot. I think this is a great spot for him to go out there and style on Gilbert. And I wouldn't even be surprised if he goes out there and knocks him out. You know, Wonderboy, uh, Gilbert Burns, I do feel like he has some cardio issues and people can say, oh, how can you say that against, you know, he won five rounds against uh, Tyron Woodley and didn't slow down one bit. That fight was completely going his way. You know, any and everything that he wanted, he could go out there and do, and he had zero resistance to go up against. Then we started the Kamar Usman fight, right? He started to slow down a little bit. Say what you want about Kamar Usman's, you know, ability to come back from some adversity in that first round and start to put it on Burns himself, but Burns was slowing down, and I think that he's going to start slowing down here against Thompson, especially when he's whiffing at air a lot and, and not really getting his own game going. So I do think that there is a possibility that Wonderboy even stops this fight. I'm going to say Wonderboy by third round TKO, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm... I'm so excited for the potential of a Wonder Boy versus Kamaru Usman fight. I know there's a lot of politics and shenanigans going around in that 170 pound division. You got Leon Edwards and Kobe Covington and all these other guys waiting in the wings. But Wonder Boy Thompson brings a type of style that Kamaru Usman has yet to fight. And I'd be very, very excited to see how that kind of fight plays out. But I do like Wonder Boy here. I think he passes this test against Gilbert Burns, who I think, you know, he had a great stretch of fights, like I said, leading up to the Kamaru Usman fight. But Wonder Boy Thompson, even at 38 years old, is a very tough puzzle to solve and I don't think that uh, Gilbert Burns you know with his Henry Hooft Dutch style kickboxing that he's been able to develop over the last couple of years I just don't think it's going to be good enough to to uh, to nullify the type of game that Wonderboy Thompson brings to the table here so unless Gilbert Burns goes out there and knocks out Wonderboy Thompson I, you know there is the possibility of that obviously there's the Anthony Pettis fight that really sticks out to me but I truly think that punch uh that Pettis threw completely caught Wonderboy off guard if you guys remember that was like the last couple seconds of that second or third round that Pettis was able to land that and I think that Wonderboy was just a little bit down in terms of his guard and uh, that's how he got caught I'm sure he learned his lesson from there and I'm sure that he'll be able to eat some big shots from Burns here he ate some big shots from Luke and Neil and was still chugging along never really showed any signs of slowing down or anything like that and I think that's going to play dividends here against Gilbert Burns who in my opinion needs a needs a, a successful takedown to a bag take to a submission to a potential KO to win this fight but I do think that Wonderboy Thompson will, uh, you know his footwork not to mention the last thing I'll say about this fight again big cage we're back at the T-Mobile arena if I'm not mistaken and uh, Wonderboy Thompson will have all the room that he needs to move and navigate that cage and then eventually get his game off and uh, yeah really put a, a, a master class on Gilbert Burns in this fight. So I'm going to go Wonderboy Thompson, and I'll take him by third round TKO. Here we go. The big one, main event time. We got Conor McGregor going up against Dustin Poirier, the rubber match, the trilogy fight, the third fight. Uh, and we finally get to see who comes out on top. We saw Conor McGregor way back at UFC 174 get his hand raised by knocking out uh, Dustin Poirier. Uh, and then Dustin Poirier back in January at UFC 260, 260, 257, I should say, uh, getting his knockout victory and his revenge in the second round uh, against Conor McGregor. I do actually want to correct myself. It was UFC 176 uh, back in September of 2014 that Conor McGregor knocked out Dustin Poirier in the first round uh, uh, on the main card of that uh, pay-per-view. 
Uh, but yeah, both have obviously had a tremendous amount of success and, uh, you know, a lot of improvements have been made since the first time they fought. And we obviously saw that pan out in the second fight where Dustin Poirier was able to get the knockout of his own. Now, obviously the line was much different last time we had minus 300 ish for conor mcgregor plus 240 plus 250 ish for dustin poirier now we're getting dustin poirier going off as a slight favor at minus 130 and conor mcgregor coming back at plus 110 i'd be slightly surprised if conor mcgregor is not the favorite by fight time i'm expecting the public and casual money to come in on conor mcgregor to push him to that uh that favorite status but i think a lot of people right now who were betting a little bit earlier are just taking that narrative dustin poirier just beat this guy six months ago he shouldn't lose to him six months later. So I'm going to bet Dustin Poirier. I think that's not a good way to approach it because this is MMA after all, right? At the end of the day, there's so many different things that can happen inside the cage. And I'd be very surprised if we see Conor McGregor falter to calf kicks once again. It could be, it could happen. You know what I mean? I wouldn't be, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd hope that Dustin Poirier still goes out there and throws calf kicks and try to mix that into his game or, you know, develop a different type of game, but at least throw the calf kicks in there to kind of uh, catch Connor off guard every now and then. But I do think that Connor is skilled enough, is smart enough, has good enough fight IQ to be well prepared enough to uh, combat a calf kick heavy attack. Maybe he'll just, anytime he sees Dustin Poirier throw a kick, he's just going to let that left hand go or the right hand go and try to make Dustin, uh, you know, make. Poirier pay anytime that he tries to get a, a kick of any sort off so maybe Poirier will lay off the kicks the later that the fight goes this is just a super tough fight to break down in terms of uh who will truly come out on the end like if anybody's putting their house on either side here I think they're absolutely crazy batshit crazy I think the only thing that's somewhat sure in this fight is that it's not going to go to the distance I think that we're going to see a finish no matter who it comes from I think earlier it would be McGregor. I think later will probably be Poirier. And I do actually side with the latter half of this. I did pick McGregor last time around because I didn't think that Poirier was going to be able to handle the power of that mystic or, or that, um, what's it called? The, the the mystic left or what? Fuck, I did I can't even remember what they, uh, they used to call it, or the Celtic Cross, that's what it was, the Celtic Cross. Um, I didn't think that he'd be able to handle that power, but it seems like the durability of Poirier has really gotten uh, better, especially with his move to 155 pounds over the last several years. And he ate some pretty clean shots from Connor that night, and it did allow him to kind of gain some confidence and get his own game going, specifically around that calf kick that he was able to establish early in that fight. I think he's going to take that confidence and bring it into this fight. I know that he could probably take a shot from Connor and let his own game go which should allow him to continuously move forward and get his uh his shots off and allow him to have success with the damage that he's going to be dishing out with Connor um you know who knows what type of style that he's going to come out with but we know that it's usually about being a, a pinpoint precision type fighter just try to find that accurate shot that one shot that's going to lay out his opponent and no real wasted movement in any of his strikes right just find the shots whether it's the body the head the legs whatever it might be be efficient with it don't have any wasted movements that's what connor is so great at doing and kind of just lulling his opponents into certain traps of his dustin poria has shown that his grittiness and his durability is starting to pay off for him which will allow the rest of his game to really shine uh 
I've seen a couple of takes out there that Poirier sub is a live spot. I think that's there is some merit to that. I think that uh, Poirier definitely has a good enough submission game to to uh, choke Connor out in the, in this fight, especially the longer that it goes. I do believe that Connor has a bit of a cardio problem, right? But I've seen a couple of people beat the drum that he's gone, uh, you know, to uh, outside of the second round three times, and he's two and one in those spots. But one of those spots was uh, Nate Diaz, who you know not the greatest fighter uh connor did just enough like he learned enough in their first fight that he couldn't get nate diaz out of there in that first round and he blew his wad and used you know second win by that second round which is why nate diaz was able to take advantage of that he comes back in the second fight and comes with a completely different game plan very disciplined just knowing how much he can really dish out there to go the full 25 minutes because that's what you need to beat a guy like uh nate diaz just as leon edwards even showed us a couple weeks ago um but I do think a guy like Dustin Poirier, who seems to get stronger the fight goes on, just as we saw in his Dan Hooker fight, just as we saw in his Eddie Alvarez fights, his Justin Gaethje fights, the guy is an absolute beast the later that the fight goes. And I think that he's going to be able to exploit uh, that uh, th- those rounds from Connor, especially if it starts to reach the third, fourth, and fifth round. I think there's a good argument to be made in terms of attacking this from a live betting perspective. You know, uh, take Poirier after round one, take Poirier after round two, you're probably going to get a great round and those third, fourth and fifth rounds will probably be the strongest for Dustin. So after much contemplation and and thinking about this fight over and over again, just to give you guys um, as you know, as concrete of a pick as I can. Uh, again, this is no lock of the night. This is probably one of my uh, more, the toughest fights to call on the card, considering we don't know what uh, Connor will really bring to the table here. Uh, but given what we already know, I got to go with the Dustin Poirier side. Uh, I'm going to take him to win this fight later, in the, uh, later, probably thir- third, fourth, or fifth round. I'll definitely be stabbing those round props as well. But I do like Poirier to uh, win once again and uh, ultimately win this trilogy against Connor. So I'm going to take uh dustin poirier i'll take him to win by tko in round four and that is the breakdowns i hope you guys enjoyed the episode once again if you guys haven't already please hit that like hit that subscribe it's the best way to support your boy and if you guys want to go that extra mile check out the patreon the link is in the description below five bucks a month super cheap very much worth the price you guys will definitely enjoy it trust me check it out and then lastly obviously coolbet coolbet.com use promo code mmalotn2 and they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks uh just another bookie to add to your uh rolodex of bookies uh and a great way to line shop as well and i promise you guys you'll find some great lines on coolbet so once again coolbet.com use promo code mmalotn2 and they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks all right that's a wrap. I got a ton of other content coming for you guys this week. I haven't officially announced my ultimate weigh-in cast yet, but I promise you guys are going to enjoy it. I'm just waiting for one more person to confirm. As soon as they confirm, ooh, it's going to be great. I can't wait to do that. Uh, as always, propping you up on Thursdays, 8 p.m. Eastern. Make sure you guys are there for that. Friday live weigh-in stream. I believe that's going to be at noon Eastern time. I'll be uh, live for that as well. And then obviously the 9 p.m. Eastern Ultimate Weigh-In Show with the three guests that I have yet to announce. But once I do uh, confirm them, you guys will hear about it. Uh, And then obviously Fight Day Live Chat, 1 p.m. Eastern. uh, That is always a hoot as well to do with you guys. All right, that's a wrap. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Hit that like, hit that subscribe. Do all that good stuff. Good luck on your bets this week. I'll see you guys throughout the week. And uh, yeah, once again, good luck on your bets.